Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air, where we shine a light on musicians, filmmakers, writers, and artists of all stripes that make their home here in Upper Manhattan. I'm Aaron Sims. And I'm Gordon Ostrowski. Gordon joins us today as part of our opera team here at Inwood Artworks, having recently retired as stage director and dean at the Manhattan School of Music. As you may have deduced, this is an opera-themed live and local edition of Inwood Artworks On Air. We're happy to say that at a time when venues around the world are closed, we are about to experience live opera. We are recording this episode in a late summer afternoon here at 809 Restaurant and Lounge, which to many is the heart of Dykeman Street here in Inwood. Gordon, who are we welcoming today on Live and Local? Today, Aaron, we're enormously excited to be joined by soprano Lori Phillips and mezzo-soprano Mary Phillips. Lori debuted at the Metropolitan Opera as Zenta in Der Fliegende Hollander in 2010, which was also the year she appeared in a role debut as Brunhilde in Die Volkerie with the Hawaii Opera Theater. Since then, she's performed to tremendous accolades throughout North America and Europe. Mezzo-soprano Mary Phillips debuted at the Metropolitan Opera in 2006 in Verdi's La Forza del Destino and has been with the Met Opera ever since her debut. She sang Brangain and Tristan und Isolde for the Dallas Opera and Schwertleite in the Metropolitan Opera's production of De Valkyrie. In 2012, she received a Grammy for her solo work in the Met's recording of Wagner's Ring Cycle. Mary, too, has sung throughout North America and Europe, including Carnegie's Zankel Hall and the Library of Congress. And in case you're wondering, Mary and Lori are not just sisters, but twins. Ladies and gentlemen, Lori Phillips Soprano and Mary Phillips Mezzo Soprano. Oh! <laughs> 
Victoria and Mary, thank you so much for being here. Hi, Aaron. Good to be here. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Aaron. That was fantastic. Before we talk about you and your pieces, can you please again share the names of the three pieces you just performed? Of course. Uh, the first one is the second act duet from Mozart's Cosi Fan Tutte. And it's, this is a comic opera. Uh, the girls have been uh, tricked into falling for strangers, really. But uh, this, this duet is one where they're going to decide which one they want to date. Uh, and in Italian, it's prenderò quel brunettino. Uh, we sang it in English, and its uh, translation is, I will take the slimmer dark one. That's Dorabella. And then Fiordaligi says she'll take the blonde one. Exactly. These two characters, Fiordaligi and Dorabella, are being tested. Their fidelity, their, you know, their, their trueness is being tested by their lovers, uh, their fiancés, basically. Uh, so the fiancés dress up as Albanians and come back and uh, court the young women, and they, they fall for it very quickly. <laughs> and Mary, what was the name of the piece you sang? Oh, okay, uh, the second piece is from a wonderful opera by Robert Ward, based on uh, Arthur Miller's The Crucible. It, it's the character of Elizabeth Proctor. Uh, that's John Proctor's uh, wife. And, uh, you know, that's the play about the Salem witch trials and burning of witches. Uh, so whoever was accused didn't stand a chance. And he's, uh, my husband, John, has been having an affair with Abigail. So in the RAI tell him that he has to stop it, that she's, gonna, she's up to no good and it's just going to get worse if he continues with this affair. And Lori, you had the third piece? Yes, the third aria is uh, Voi lo sapete from Cavalleria Rusticana by Mascagni. Uh, in the aria, Santuzza is telling um, Mama Lucia, who happens to be her ex-lover's mother, uh, that she had an affair with her son uh, and um, it ended badly. And Santuzza is now pregnant out of wedlock and there's all kind, kinds of chaos that's going to lead up to a very bad ending. <laughs> it is uh, opera. <laughs> thank you for starting with the Mozart. I mean, uh, in earlier times, I think it was thought to be sort of a frivolous piece, but in contemporary productions, uh, directors have chosen to really deal with the seriousness of the situation because the, the, the ladies have been tricked and their feelings really manipulated and they're very unhappy about that, I think, at the end of the opera. Um, I've also directed The Marriage of Figaro, which I love very much. And um, I, no matter how many times I do it, I, I love doing it and I want to do it all the time. So is there a similar effect for singers in relation to Mozart? I mean, what, what is so attractive vocally that these works have survived all this over 250 years, I think? Let's start. Um, <laughs> Mozart, of course, is just a brilliant composer. So the flow of the lyric line uh, also, with even with all of the embellishments and all of the notes uh, that he writes, really, the, the lyricism in his operas are really appealing vocally and satisfying yeah. for a singer. I've even heard that singers that sing a lot of contemporary music keep coming back to Mozart and Rossini to kind of restore Yes, it the keeps vocal. the voice healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. For so sure. beautiful. I was also glad... Mary, that you selected the Ward piece. Oh, I, great. I worked with Mr. Ward because we did the New York premiere of his opera, Roman Fever, oh, which is a lovely one act. But this opera is important because the original play was written as a response to the McCarthy hearings. Right, right. right. And the opera is a really 
incredible musical telling of that same story, right? Yeah. But Ward's work, because in the 60s, there was a lot of 12-tone writing going on from composers. Mm -hmm. But this is really very lyrical, don't you think? I mean, this is a wonderful I love this particular aria because it does have some very, you know, 20th century um, uh, tonalities and, uh, you know, tritones and a little bit of difficulty. But I mean, as a singer who's done a lot of contemporary opera uh, and and other music, I, yes, this is, it's not so hard to uh, to learn, memorize, mm-hmm. uh, and um, yeah, I just love it. I, I love the character and the, the drama of it. So, um, and you know, they're living in desperate times. So, you know, as as people were during McCarthy. Yeah, that was crazy. Unfortunately, the opera isn't done very often, so we don't really. I don't really know. I, I have done the full opera once in concert, but I don't know the other arias. So honestly, I can't say. You, you were saying there's a big tenor role in it. That's almost impossible. Yeah, one of the judges sing. is a very difficult tenor yeah. role. So sometimes they do it in schools, but it's very hard yeah, to cast. Yeah, lots of characters. Yeah. Um, but also for the character of Elizabeth here, too, she's really going out on a limb here, demanding she that is. John uh, is going to end this relationship, you know, mm-hmm. and restore her marriage to what it was. Yes, I, I tried to portray, portray that conservatism of her character and how she never speaks out to him about anything, you know, and so this is, but she's reached her last straw too because who knows her, like she says in the opera, her sons may be the next victims. They may be accused or, or brought into imprisoned and yeah, exactly. we've already had friends and relatives mm-hmm. that are in prison. And unfortunately she's falsely accused herself Yes, by, eventually. Uh, and it's all about Abigail, who's yeah. telling lies. Yeah. Lies. Uh, Laurie, so the, uh, you sang the Santuzza, which is, this is a little uh, later period, the Rismo, right? Yeah. So this was written as a companion piece. Uh, Cavalleria Rusticana was a companion piece to Pagliacci. And these two operas have been done frequently since their debut, really. But yes. what, what is the difference in the Verismo style then? Is because it's very emotional. The scene, the, yeah. the, the, the play is very dramatic. It's really... Well, verismo means, re, uh, you know, true. It's, it's, a, it's These are real-life experiences um, that people had back in, you know, in, in the late 19th century, early 20th, and weren't... They, the, the verismo operas depict real-life gut-wrenching experiences, um, life and death, uh, you know, love, triangles. War, often. Oftentimes war. In Verdi operas, it's always about war. Yeah, uh, so, uh, I mean, I think it's different than Mozart, of course. Um, the, 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 the music is heavier. Uh, and the trick about singing the music is to try not to let it, you know, you can't really cry when you're doing these things. So you have to put the, the, the crying in, the, in your voice and rather than really doing it. Right, and, and you can't oversing it either. It has to be yeah. controlled in a way so you keep your good vocal health. Yeah. One, of, one of the trickiest things about this Rolo Santuzza, even though, as you say, it's only it's a, a one, uh, one and a half hour opera that's always done with something else on the, the same night. Uh, but Santuzza's role, she, she sings nonstop from the In Nejamo, the big chorus scene, and she has the top lying part in that and then uh, she has to go right into her aria 
And right from that, she goes into a duet with um, Turidu, the, the tenor. And then she goes right into a duet with Alfio, the jealous husband of Lola, another woman who Turidu has been involved with. So that long stretch of singing nonstop is, is a tricky thing. Yeah, absolutely. We work, we work on to build stamina. Like all the performing arts, opera has been upended in the last few months as we are in the middle of the novel coronavirus pandemic. Lori and Mary, can you both tell us a little bit about how your own lives have been affected professionally? And what sense of the future do you have for live opera and its fans? I'd love to be positive about the future of opera. And uh, I've been very concerned and, of course, very sad at the fact that the Metropolitan has had to close. Now, I had a job there in April that I lost, totally lost. Uh, and, um, and, then, uh, and then another job in October on a new production of Prokofiev's The Fiery Angel that would have been fantastic. Oh, that's a wonderful and piece. And I had a yeah. understudy for a big role right at the beginning of this, this sorceress type person. And uh, so that's gone too off the table. And now I have another contract there in April and I just hope we come back, but fingers crossed, exactly. So, uh, and of course we have to be careful. I, social distancing in an opera house when, you know, the seats are so close together. I, of course, we think it can, it's possible. Just leave a couple of seats between each family or each couple. Or In reality, I don't think it's going to be able to work that way. Besides the artists and the orchestra and the directors, we all have to be in a room together rehearsing. It doesn't just happen. It's not instant opera. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, we usually rehearse three to five weeks on a, on a show. Even a, even a remounted production. So I don't know what to say about it. We just have to wait. Yeah, no one knows when it's going to come back. Um, there is some, I've been working co closely with my union during this time. Uh, we've gathered a bunch of soloists together. Anyone who's, who wants to be involved, we need to talk and try to get work, some kind of compensation with digital media nowadays because uh, the, the future of opera may be going even more toward that. And right now, many opera companies have been using recordings and not, re not compensating the artists. I don't want to get political or anything here, but it's not been a good thing. So I've worked with my union quite a bit over the last few months. I myself didn't have a ton of work to, I've been taking some time off to stay home with my son. I didn't have a lot of work I lost. So um, not so bad for me in that way. I've been trying to turn it into something positive and gather operatic soloists and band with our union to help. Lori, that's a great thing you've been talking about. Can you talk a little further about the actual movement that you've been part of to defend the rights, promote the labor rights of opera soloists? I, I helped found a, a soloist coalition, which um, has been working in conjunction as part of our union. The union we belong to is the American Guild of Musical Artists. Um, and it's not just singers who have had, lost all this work, of course. We're talking about stage directors, actors, uh, supernumeraries, dancers, oh. the dancers, stage hands, uh, stage hands. Anyone's a member of the four A's, essentially. So many people are just uh, just devastated with no work. Um, all the musicians. So, you know, it, it, it's surprising actually that it takes a pandemic to to get the union to kind of come alive a bit and say, hey, we need to uh, protect our performers against this force majeure clause that many companies have. Whenever a, any kind of catastrophe hits, like a pandemic, 
companies can say, oh, sorry, as independent contractors, which most of us are as solo singers, your contracts are abolished and we don't have to pay you anything. Not, some didn't pay a dime. Some did. Some Met companies were gracious and paid uh, yes. 5%. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, 10%. So, you know, we have to find protection for that. That's what we've been exploring uh, with the union, try to find some kind of protection for that. You know, it's been hard, but at least you do have each other because, as Gordon mentioned earlier, you are sisters. And I will say this, Lori and Mary each have separate lives and separate careers, both enormously successful. But you've also begun to perform together a lot, obviously today, but also more in recent years. So what brought that about? And what is it like to sing with someone who you know so well and are so close to in so many ways? It's, it's a gift. I mean, it's like such a, a, I don't want to sound corny, but it's just a major blessing. And, uh, you know, not only to sing together, but um, to have um, my twin sister, um, and I know you feel the same way, Lori, uh, going through this career for the last 28, 30 years that we've been been at it as artists, as singers, it doesn't happen overnight. And to have someone there to always understand yeah, I did an audition, didn't go so well, but um, or it went great, but I haven't heard. So, I mean, you have a lot of those, you know, it's just a big, major process. So um, we don't come from a musical family, so it's kind of freakish, I hate to use that word, <laughs> that Laurie and I, uh, also being identical twins, freaks of nature, freaks. yes, yeah. that we... Uh, we're freaks, Mary. We're freaks. We're freaks. Yes, <laughs> that we. Uh, both, a new show. Uh, yeah, both yeah. did the same uh, same career. Anyway, um, we did early on. However, even have, as as children, even though we weren't really in a musical family, we would listen to Simon and Garfunkel, for instance, and then repeat what they did and harmonize together. We were like, you know, oh, wow. very young, twelve years <laughs> old. Yeah, and then we got into church choir, and Mary always was a mezzo and I was sang out so we got to sing duets uh, and then the family was like hey you know somebody said the girls have good voices so <laughs> then we realized did oh, a lot of musicals together too musical theater yes that's no. how we started us so yeah yeah but it's really quite unique I, I don't remember ever encountering any other duo brother sister or sisters or brothers together yeah. have you ever heard of it it's or? very rare there have been a few. A the few. Perry, the Perry brothers. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the Perry yes, you're right. They're twins, but yeah. I don't think they're identical. No, mm -hmm. no, I don't think they're identical yeah. either. Mm -hmm. um, the okay. Chis Chisinski sisters also came to mind. Uh, yeah. But not twins. What are the final two pieces that you'll perform today? Oh, starting with you. wonderful. Oh, one of my favorite characters, Atsuchena from Il Trovatore. It's a bit of a convoluted story <laughs> uh, but the music is so fantastic that uh, you know it has to be done and thank goodness it is done often I've done it a bunch of times myself in various companies um, so uh, was it Frankel Curley that said you need the four greatest singers on earth to be able to pull off Il Trovatore so <laughs> the tenor role is so difficult the mezzo role that I sang today the, the gypsy Atsuchena, who accidentally burns her own son in a fire instead of the Count's son. She has a vendetta against the Count. Uh, yeah. Oh, what's his oh, name? Deluna. Yeah, Deluna, that's it. Um, and so, anyway, she kidnaps his son and is supposed to burn him up, burn him in a fire, but she, that's, that's where the story goes kind of nutty because she burns her own son instead, and you go, what? How could you do that? But um, she saw her own mother, you know, as a gypsy, uh, tortured and, and killed and 
So it's not a pretty story, uh, and it doesn't end very well. As, as many offers. <laughs> Don't? Yeah. So that's that aria. I'm just telling, uh, I'm on stage with a boy that I've brought, the Count's son, who I've raised as my own child. And he's, he has no idea he's the Count's son, right? And so now he's trying to, he's trying to figure it out. And I tell him the story of how my mother was killed and how I wanted vengeance and how painful that was and how I, in the, in the aria, I say how I accidentally put my own son in the fire. Well, it's critical because uh, he's a, a, the rival of the Count de Luna, and but it's revealed yeah. at the, after this revelation yes. that they're brothers. For the soprano, let's not yeah. forget the amazing soprano role in yeah. Il Trovatore, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, yeah. Which I, I have had the pleasure of singing. And what's the final piece you'll be singing together? Oh, oh I'll start. It's from Aida, also by Verdi. Um, yeah. Ayyad has been captured by the Egyptian princess. Well, the Egyptians. Ayyad is a, Again, a war is going on. Verity usually put a lot of politics, and there's always a war in the background yep. of his operas. So I'm Neris. Mary's character uh, has the benefit of having me as a slave for, for quite a while. Um, and she falls in love with Rodimus, the Egyptian prince. But Aida is in love with Rodimus as well, and Rodimus is actually in love with Aida. Um, Amneris figures that he's out a, during this duet. Rodimus is not also a, a given accolades, like he's you know the hero of Egypt, so of course the Egyptian princess should marry him. And uh, the pharaoh has said that, but now he's in love with Aida. Yeah, that's so. That's what we're saying about. So yeah, that, that's it. And Aida in, in this duet uh, is begging begging Amneris to use her beauty and power to, to save Rodimus. Aida is willing to sacrifice her life if Amneris will just be kind to, to Rodimus. In the opera, of course, Aida and Rodimus are both enclosed in a tomb and suffocate together. And then Amneris actually ends the opera saying, you know, pity, pity, have pity on their souls. It's a beautiful ending. I mean, for this kind of vicious character to have remorse. She, she has remorse at the end, and I, it's one reason I love Aeneas so much. I mean, I think she, she was brought up to be powerful and to be the leader, and so she can't be taken advantage of, you know? It's like many leaders, even today, right? They're not going to be... So, you know, I always try to equate what I'm doing on stage to, like, this could be real. This is a real-life thing, just to personalize the character, you know? She prays for their souls at the end. It's very sad, but she doesn't save them. <laughs> also, it's an example of Verdi was famous for using offstage singing or an offstage musical thing that influences the onstage action. So we hear the military march, which signals the return of Rodimus to Egypt. And uh, that's what sets the whole scene off uh, yeah. towards the end of it. Yeah. Just a little side note, one of, one of my first professional jobs was at the Netherlands Opera in Amsterdam. Uh, I sang the offstage Prince... Uh, uh, high Priestess. Yeah, a High Priestess. Oh, in Aida. Yes, High Priestess in Aida. Um, <clears throat> the prayers are beautiful. It's a beautiful piece of music, too. Laurie Phillips Soprano and Mary Phillips Mezzo-Soprano.
Thank <laughs> you.
Lori and Mary, it was so great to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing your time and talent. My pleasure. Pleasure to be here, Aaron. Our listeners will want to know where they might be able to find out more about you and your careers. So where can we send them? Okay, I, um, I, I'll start. I have a Facebook page, the Lori Phillips Dramatic Soprano, and my website is lauriephillips.com. It's with two, two L's. Also, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, also, some of my recordings are still available on Amazon, uh, and there are recordings on YouTube. You Google if you just put in Lori Phillips soprano. Yep, you did that French piece that's recorded with American Symphony Orchestra. Yes. Right. Uh, same here. Uh, if you, yeah, it's always just good to put Mary Phillips mezzo soprano because there's another Mary Phillips that runs a, a shop that I won't say what she's selling, but um, <laughs> make sure you put mezzo soprano. Uh, you'll, you'll be directed to my manager's website where there are lots of selections and videos. Also on YouTube, uh, you can find a clip of Dallas Opera's uh, Tristan and his older of me and uh, my colleague Jean-Michel Chabernet singing a beautiful excerpt. Um, also on there should be Il Trovatore from Bob Jones University. That, that was a wonderful production we did there. The whole opera is on YouTube, I believe. And, uh, also, you know, I have recordings of Mahler symphonies, but that's not opera. So other things, <laughs> yeah. Strauss operas. Same, same here. <laughs> well, as always, listeners, you'll find those links up on Inwood Artworks webpage. Thanks again to Lori and Mary. I also want to say a very special thanks to Leanne Overton today for providing exquisite accompaniment for Lori and Mary for this very special edition of Live and Local. This is Inwood Artworks On Air, where we showcase the musicians that make their home in and around Upper Manhattan. Thanks again to 809 Restaurant and Lounge here at 112 Dykeman Street in Inwood for hosting us. Inwood Artworks is all about supporting local small businesses, and we hope you do too. Be sure you follow us at Inwood Artworks on our social media channels and at inwoodartworks.nyc to keep up with all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, pop-up art galleries, live performances, and so much more. And stay tuned for more editions of Inwood Artworks On Air. Thank you for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims. And Gordon Ostrowski. For Inwood Artworks On Air. Thanks for listening to this Artist Spotlight episode of Inwood Artworks On Air. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. And stay tuned for more Artist Spotlight and live and local episodes dropping every week from Inwood Artworks. Inwood Artworks On Air is made possible with funds from the Niska Electronic Media and Film Grant Program in partnership with Wave Farm Media Arts Assistance Fund and the support of Governor Andrew Cuomo and the New York State Legislature.